you all this morning. We have been studying the book of James together in a series we've titled, Show Me Your Faith. And we chose that title, Show Me Your Faith, because we felt like the book of James does a really good job challenging us not just to say the right thing, but to do the right thing and to show our faith in the way that we live. Uh, I don't know about you, but I found it to be a really, really insightful series so far. Been learning a lot, been challenged a lot, and it's, uh, it's been good. The book of James, is a, it's a very, uh, I would say it's a very pastoral book in that it gives us a lot of pastoral advice on, uh, and encouragement on uh, what we should do, very practical advice on how we should live our lives. James, uh, the author of this book, he was um, well-recognized by the early church. Uh, he was the brother of Jesus and one of the founders of the early church. Uh, and so he wrote this book, as it was a letter, actually. He wrote this letter to several of the young churches and early Christians on what they should do in their new faith. So in this book, we find a lot of really helpful advice. And I really enjoy the book of James. But today, in our study, we arrive at chapter 3. And I have a problem with chapter 3. There's something in James chapter 3 that has really been bugging me. The more I read it, the more it really gets under my skin. And so today, I want to tell you about the problem of James chapter 3 and see what you think. What we'll do this morning, we'll start together. We're going to read the chapter together. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them right up to James 3. Uh, if you want to follow along, there's probably Bibles uh, in the seats uh, in front of you or will also be up here on the screen if you want to follow along. I'm going to read it, uh, ask you to follow with me and see if maybe there's something in this chapter that doesn't also bug you as well. All right, let's do it. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's a great verse for a pastor to start off with, right? Thanks. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and they're driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force can be set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in his likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be so. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Lord, we take a moment right now. We invite your Holy Spirit to come in the room. Uh, We invite you to teach us from this text. We invite you to challenge us from this scripture. And our hearts are open this morning to what you have to say. Amen. So, as I said, I want to talk to you about the problem of James 3. And I am calling it the double-tongued dilemma. Let me begin by explaining for those who might be unfamiliar with the term. Double-tongued is a term, it's an expression. It refers to somebody who doesn't always say what they're really thinking. Who says different things depending on who they're talking to. Well, you might call this person two-faced. You might even call that person a liar. And, you know, we've probably all been guilty of this at one point or another. You know, maybe you talk nice to somebody when they're in the room, but when they leave, then you say what you really think about them. Or maybe somebody asks you, maybe you know, this happens, someone invites you to go to something, and you say, uh, yeah, let me check my calendar. Well, we all know you're not checking your calendar. You don't even have a calendar. Yeah. We all know you're not going to that. You just don't want to say it to them. We've all done something like that. I'll tell you one. A couple years ago, um, I was on staff at Camp Judah. It's a kid's summer camp that our church does. And I was on staff there, and I was a a counselor. And um, I was involved with a prank where, uh, let's just say the canoes ended up where canoes are not supposed to be. And the next morning, the campground director was not very happy about those canoes being out of the water. Um, and so he didn't, he didn't know who to blame. He didn't know who was at fault. But he called some of the leaders together, including myself, and he said, this is, this is too far. This is, this is not good. And so, you know, I, I said, I agree with you. This is, the, yeah, we're going to find out who is responsible I'm going to ask the staff if they know who's done this, and when I find out, I'm going to let them know this is unacceptable. Now, I was being double-tongued in that moment um, because I wasn't saying what I was really thinking, which, of course, was, whew, got away with that one. That was close. Um, Double-tongue is when you say different things depending on the situation, depending on who you're talking to. And this is something I hope you could see that James addressed uh, in the chapter. And he presents us with what I call the double-tongue dilemma. And the, the, the dilemma that we have is two simple truths. And I'm going to give you these two simple truths. The very first one James makes very crystal clear to us is that no one can tame their tongue. No one can control their tongue. Even the best of us. Even the teachers. Even the, 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 the most righteous, godly people still cannot control their tongue. 
In fact, he goes even to great lengths, I would say, to emphasize just how impossible it is for someone to tame their tongue, to control their mouth. He says, if you look in verse 5, he says, the tongue is a small part of your body, but it boasts great things. And he compares it to a fire. He says, consider what a large forest could be set on fire by just a small spark. The tongue also is like a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of your body, and it can corrupt your whole body, and it's even set on fire by hell. So your tongue might seem small. It might seem insignificant, but it is very powerful. It's like a small spark, which can start small, but become powerful. In fact, I think fire is a great analogy for our tongue. Because if you think about it, fire is a wonderful thing. It keeps our homes warm in this time of the year. When it gets cold, the fire is great. Fire cooks our food. You know, it cooks our turkeys um, and all of our other Thanksgiving foods. Uh, fire lights up our houses in, in dark rooms. The fire is great when it's controlled. But if you have uncontrolled fire in your house, that's a problem. When you lose control of fire, it can be destructive. It can be deadly. And your tongue is the same way. When you have control of it, it can be such a good thing. When you encourage people, you bless people, you teach people, it, that can be great. But if you lose control of your tongue, it can be very deadly. It can be destructive. And the problem we see is that the tongue is almost impossible to control. James goes on, and he, he compares it to wild animals. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, all these things we have tamed, and they're being tamed by man, but no one can tame the tongue. And you think about it, like, as humans, we've learned how to capture wild animals and tame wild animals, and that's pretty crazy when you think about, like, you ever go to the zoo, think about the animals you see at the zoo, uh, elephants and lions and uh, bears and, like, all these wild animals, dangerous animals, strong animals that we have managed to capture. Just think about it like this. Can you imagine you're like the first guy who saw a lion and said to his buddies, hey, let's go grab that and put it in a box. Hey, see that gorilla? Let's go grab that gorilla. Like, it's crazy that we do that. But what's even crazier than zoos is like a circus where animals are trained. They're not just captured and like kept safe, but they're actually taught how to help us and to serve us and to do what they're told. I mean, like, you ever want to see the elephant and you think, like, you don't have to do what that little man is telling you. You could just step on him. Or the lion who's taking instructions from the ringmaster. Like, you don't have to listen to that little guy. You are much more dangerous than him. But we've trained them because we have learned how to train wild animals. I, can, I know a little something of this myself. Um, when I was younger, I was a teenager, I had a pet uh, puppy. His name was Sergeant, a little golden retriever, and he was an awesome dog. He was so much fun. He was so friendly, but he was not very well behaved. He was very excited about everything all the time. I had the attention span of a goldfish. And so we decided at one point that we were going to take him to dog obedience class. You know, where like you have the dog walk next to you and you say heel, and then he comes in like walks right next to you. And then you say, stay, and you walk away, and he stays there. And he would do good for like two seconds, three seconds. And then until he heard a bird 
or hurt a car or another dog or anything. <laughs> Just, um, and so I remember going to these dog classes where there would be like um, me and then a bunch of other folks with their dogs. And then they would say, all right, have your dog, you know, walk around down there and come back. And they would all do it very nicely. And Sergeant would just like, and then just immediately take off after the other dogs. And I was constantly dragging him around, trying to get him to stay with me. Um, and so I think we had him in classes for like two years, maybe. And we would go once a week to classes and then you know, practice with him, try to take him on walks, try to teach him instructions, reward him when he did well. And after two years, I took him to like a competition, you know, where they grade you on this. It was like a 4-H program. And uh, I successfully managed to get him to sit and stay. And that was like this great achievement. These other ones were like having them follow certain commands and run certain different patterns. And I was like, he's sitting, and that's wonderful. Uh, all of my effort paid off. Um, so I know that after much, much hard work, you can train a dog. Um, you can train, we've trained all wild animals. But James is pretty clear that our tongues are not so easily trained. And I tend to agree with James on this because, sure, I can bite my tongue and walk away. I can, you know, count to ten, take a deep breath, not say what I'm thinking. I've learned how to be polite if someone is mean or rude or upsets me, I can handle this. But at some point, it's going to come out. Maybe not in front of that person. Maybe behind their back. Maybe to somebody else. Uh, maybe when I get pushed a little bit more, at some point, what I'm really thinking is going to slip out. I can only maintain control for so long. And this brings us to the second point, the second part of the double-tongue dilemma which is this. James tells us no one can tame their tongue, and then he says, you should not have a double tongue. You should tame your tongue. He tells us, he's asking us to do what he just told us that we cannot do, which to me is a problem. To me, this is a dilemma. James, what do you want? You're saying we cannot tame our tongue, but we should not curse men with it. If you look at verse 9, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. You can almost hear, you can hear James' disappointment. You can almost hear him like shaking his head when you read that. This should not be. How can you worship God as a Lord and then turn around and speak poorly of the people that he created, the people he put in your life. How can you do that? It should not be. And if you think James is being harsh, in Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus is teaching his disciples a very similar lesson on the same topic. And Jesus is, I would say, he's even more direct. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I've told you to do? How can you call me a Lord and you won't do what I told you to do? His commandment is that we love one another. So how can you call him Lord if you don't do that? This is hard to hear, but it's something that we need to hear. It's something that we need to be confronted with. I'll be really honest. As I was preparing this, uh, the studying this passage and preparing this, I found myself, I caught myself using a double tongue just a couple days ago. I was 
doing my morning devotions. I was up early reading, and I was spending a few moments in prayer. It was peaceful. It was beautiful. The Lord was there. It was very spiritual. And then my kids woke up, and they came downstairs to get ready for school. And mere minutes, and they're in a disagreement about something. And I found myself very frustrated, um, no longer peaceful and spiritual. I found myself very frustrated and speaking um, unkindly and... Uh, and, and, I, and I just was like very frustrated. I'm like, how can I go from this moment of prayer with the Lord to being angry and frustrated and speaking out? <clears throat> and I got to believe I'm not the only person who has experienced the same thing. I'm like, I'm literally doing what James described. I didn't curse my, my kids out loud, but I'm literally doing what he said. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Chris uh, spoke a sermon here, and uh, he challenged us to consider what does it mean to really be a Christian? And in that message, he said, it's impossible to say you're a Christian, you're a believer, you're a follower of the King, and not have your life change. It's impossible to claim to be a Christian and not have your life change. If there's no change in your lifestyle, if there's no change in the way you talk and in what you do, have you really made him your Lord? You guys, you probably know there's something so inconsistent about a Christian who talks trash about other people. And have you ever experienced that before? It just seems wrong, you know? You could have a neighbor or coworker or family member who you know is not a believer, is not a follower of the Lord. And maybe they talk bad about somebody, they talk bad about, the, you know, the their coworkers or their boss or whatever, and you, don't, you just shake it off. You don't think anything about it. But then if you know someone, you know what church they go to, you know they read the Bible, you know they worship the Lord, and you hear them talking bad about somebody, it just rubs you the wrong way. You're like, something's not right here. Like, this should not be. J- uh, James gives us actually some examples from nature, which I think are really, a really good way to look, about it, look at it. He says, do you ever see olives on a fig tree? No. Do you ever see figs on a grapevine? No, that's unnatural. That shouldn't be. Those things don't belong, right? And when you hear a believer talking, cursing, talking bad about someone else, trashing someone else, it's like, that doesn't belong. That is inconsistent. Imagine with me, just imagine with me, this is a, a good visual. Imagine you have a bowl of grapes, fresh, sweet, juicy grapes, and you grab a handful. And you bite down, you, you taste that delicious, sweet grape. You grab another one, you pop it in your mouth, and you immediately realize it's an olive, not a grape. Can you imagine what that would be like? You're expecting a juicy grape, and you get a bitter olive. Uh, no, I like olives in the right place, but not when you want a grape, right? You'd be like, oh, no, it doesn't belong. And that, that's how it is for us as believers when we curse our fellow man. We speak down of our, of our other people, and we don't show love to other people. It should be sweet, but it's coming out bitter. This is the double-tongue dilemma. As Christians, we should not have a, have a double tongue. Like James says, it should not be so. But we cannot tame our tongue. He already told us that. It's like fire. It's like anim- wild animals. So what are we supposed to do? And I, and I, I got to imagine you guys can relate to this. And maybe, maybe for you it's not uh, double tongue. Maybe that's not 
uh, as much of an issue for you, but I got to believe we've all experienced that feeling of, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I also know that I'm incapable of it. I know what I want to do. I know how I want to serve the Lord, but I also know in myself, I'm incapable of doing what I've been told to do. That's the dilemma that we face. So what are we to do? First and foremost, hear me, we must deal with our hearts. I I submit that the problem is not really with our tongue. The problem is in our hearts. For better or worse, your tongue will always reveal what's in your heart. Your tongue will always reveal what's in your heart. In a way, it's kind of a good thing that you can't tame your tongue because it lets us see what's going on down in there. In verse 11, James asked, Can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? The obvious answer is no. No, they cannot. If there is salty water, then it's a salty spring. Don't blame the faucet. Don't blame the spigot. If the water is salty, the source is salty. And if there is ungodly things coming out of your mouth, then there are ungodly things in your heart. And you need to check that. In that passage I referred to earlier in in Luke 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Here's what Jesus told them. He said, A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. But an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I don't know that any of us have, you know, solely good things in our hearts or solely evil things. I think we have two things in our heart. We have double hearts, which is why we sound like we're double-tongued. And we need a whole heart. We need a new heart. Your words in your mouth are a reflection of the condition of your heart. This is similar to like when you go and you visit the doctor. Um, The doctor can't look physically at your heart, but they can take your blood pressure, they can check your heart rate. These are indications of the condition of your heart. They have other ways to test and see. Um, In the same way, your speech gives an indication of your spiritual health. Your speech reveals the condition of your heart. I mentioned earlier, uh, that I shared a little earlier about that time um, this week when I went from very quiet devotional prayer to frustrated with my children very, very quickly. And, um, with, and as they left for school, I had a moment to myself and I paused and I asked the Lord, what's going on in my heart? What's going on inside of me that I can so quickly go from one extreme to the other? What's going on in my heart? And I think that's what we ought to do when we find ourselves challenged by the things that our tongue says, is we look at our hearts. If you keep reading in James, James suggests, he says, if you're wise, that we ought to search our hearts with humility and with repentance. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds that are done in humility that comes from wisdom. And then this, he says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. If you have bitterness, if you have envy, if you have selfishness in your heart, it will eventually come out. 
If it's in there, it's going to come out. Self-control might help you get through a few situations, but self-control is not ultimately the answer. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be responsible for 24-7 being the one who's in control. I need need a new heart. You guys know the old saying, if you can't say nothing good, don't say nothing at all. I've never liked that saying. Sure, that can, that's good advice. It can help you get out, you know, out of a, um, you know, not starting an argument. But it's not a good way to live. I, walking around saying, if I can't say nothing good, I ain't going to say nothing. You know what that leaves us with? That leaves us walking around thinking bad things and saying nothing. That's not who I want to be. I don't want to be someone who's just sitting there going, I'm not saying nothing. I suggest if you can't say nothing good, then maybe ask Jesus what's wrong with your heart. You can't find nothing good to say. Ask him to heal you of your brokenness, of your envy, of your selfish ambition. Charles Spurgeon, he's a uh, a famous 19th century preacher, author, theologian, and here's a quote from him. He says, Unless you have been regenerated, unless you have been born from above by a new heavenly birth, you are not Christians. Whatever you might call yourself, you cannot produce the fruit that is acceptable to God. No amount of self-control can make you pleasing to God. No amount of trying to tame your tongue will make you pleasing to God. You need regeneration. You need a new heart. Perhaps as I've been speaking about the double-tongue dilemma, I wonder if a situation has come to mind for you. Maybe there was a moment this this last week when you spoke in a way that was inconsistent. Maybe you said something that was untruthful. Maybe you said something that was hurtful. Maybe you cursed at somebody. And I want to ask you to take a moment to consider that. And I'm not asking you to consider it and promise you're going to do better and promise you're you're never going to speak like that again. I'm asking you to consider it and say, Lord, what's going on in my heart? What's going on in my heart? And in a way, we ought to be grateful for these moments because they reveal to us the thing that the Lord lovingly, in his kindness, wants to work out of us. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. I ask you to uh, bow your heads. Just take a moment.